0: Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our wonderful friends at MyBookie. If you haven't already signed up for an account, guys, do it right now. There's no better time than now. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag, sign up for a new account, and when you do that, just use our code UGA, and you will get that 50% bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's mybookie.ag, promo code UGA. All right, guys, I am your host, Tyler. You know that. And I am back today, one final time this week, with what I think is a really fun episode. I've been working on this behind the scenes for oh, I don't know, uh, about a week or so. I didn't tease it earlier in the week because I didn't know if I would have it ready by the end of this week. I thought I might have to open next week with it. But fortunately, I had a little bit more time today than I thought I would, and I was able to get it done, get it all ready. And uh, yeah, so let's run with it. As you all know, we are finally getting a new NCAA football game this summer we've been waiting over a decade for this I remember back a couple years ago during the COVID year right and I was searching frantically for things to do and I knew that I had my NCAA 2014 game somewhere I thought I did and then my wife, I kind of blamed her. I was like, I think you threw it away when we moved. And, I'm like you know, I was wrong, of course, because, you know, that's what happens. I'm wrong. And she found it, and she still has not let me live it down. She found it, and it was amazing because I got to play that for months upon months upon months, and it made my life a lot better. It helped me manage the whole COVID process because I had NCAA football to play, man. I was just back Back in the old college days, back in the high school days, and just living the life. And we haven't had it, again, for like a decade. So when the announcement was made that, yeah, it's coming back, all of us, I know I'm not alone, I know all of you out there, most of you out there, felt the same way that I did and you were over the freaking moon about it. And lately, especially this week, we have been getting a lot of a lot of news, a lot of things been trickling out about this new game, I think it was about a week ago, maybe last Thursday, Friday or so they released a teaser trailer saying it's coming this summer. So we, we were hoping it was going to come this summer. We knew it was coming. We didn't know exactly when. And we still don't have an exact date as far as I have seen, but we know it's coming this summer. They did a whole promo video. It was cool. It was fun. It was great. And then there's been more news trickling out this week. There was an announcement this week that the players are going to get $600 each plus a copy of the game if they opt in. They don't have to opt in, but if they opt in, $600, copy of the game, and we call it even, right? Right. And so a bunch of players have kind of tweeted out, yep, I'm going, I'm in, I'm all in. Carson Beck, one of those players. So, so over the past couple of weeks, NCAA football has been making some headlines. And it got me thinking, you know, I, I get excited about these kind of things. And it's been so long since we've been able to even remotely think about this. And, you know, every year when the new Madden game is coming out at the end of the summer, they always make a big deal about the player ratings, right? And it's like, okay, this player, Patrick Mahomes is a 99. And Lamar Jackson's a 99. There's only like four 99s overall in the the NFL and who are they, right? So they don't, they have a lot of fun with that. They played up the NFL kind of leans into it, and I always have watched that or paid attention to it. I'm like, man, it'd be really cool if we did this for like college. Like, if we had Bay football back and we do this for college. So, well, like it's back. So why don't we do it here on the show? And that's exactly what we're gonna do. So what I've done is I've gone through my projected starting lineup, which is a very tenuous projected starting lineup. Of course, it's subject to change. We haven't even gotten to spring practice yet. It's not quite even March yet. So this is a very, very soft projection, but I thought it'd be fun to go through this projected starting lineup and give each of these guys an NCAA football rating. I thought that'd be fun. I Kind of a fun way to look at the team and also get hyped up about this NCAA football game coming out here in, what, about three or four months at this point? Hopefully, it'll probably be like, what, mid-July? It used to be like July 15th, mid-July every year. So I'm anticipating that's probably what it's going to be. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. I think that's fun. It's fun to me. I hope that's fun to you guys, but that's where we're going today. And we're going to start with the Georgia offense. And we're going to start at the top with the most important position on any football team, which of course is the quarterback, Carson Beck. My player rating for Carson Beck is a 97. That is as high as we're going to have on the offensive side of the ball. I'm just going to tell you guys that. It's not the highest-rated player on the team. We'll get to that later. There's a guy on defense that's a little bit higher rated. But I got Beck at a 97, the highest-rated player on our offense. I have Carson rated so highly for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think he is an elite processor that doesn't mean that he's perfect but I think he is an elite processor at that position that is probably the most important quality at that position he's able to diagnose coverages pre-snap post-snap he has answers for everything a defense is going to do to him and this guy has been deadly accurate at least all through last year particularly in the short and intermediate range now the deep ball game that is an area that can use some improvements that's one of the reasons why I don't have him as a 98-99 there are some areas where he can improve and that is certainly one of them I do agree with that But as a processor, this guy, I don't know if he has an equal in college football this year. At least among the returning starters, we'll see how things progress and how guys develop. But I feel very confident saying that Carson Beck is the top quarterback in the country coming back this year. I also think he's extraordinarily poised. The big moment does not get to him. I know there was some criticism of him last year from some fans in the fan base saying that, you know, they wish he showed more emotion. And I get that. I'm an emotional guy myself. I wear my heart on my sleeve. That's just how I'm built. Carson is not like that. He's not that guy. He's not the rah-rah kind of guy. Now, there were times where he showed some emotion, but it was certainly not a routine thing for him. But my argument with that is very simple. I think that's what you want in your quarterback. You don't want your quarterback that's up and down emotionally. If they're that passionate a lot of times that comes with some variance with their emotional stability. There's I don't want to say neurotic, but like in some ways, kind of. So if I had to choose, I want a quarterback that's more even keel, who doesn't get too up and too down and doesn't let interception affect him too much and doesn't get too high on himself when he's throwing a bunch of a bunch of touchdowns and playing really well and tries to get to the point where he's like too confident in his own arm and starts to force things. But I love the poise. I love the processing ability. I love his decision-making. I love the accuracy, his ability and willingness to fit balls into tight windows is very, very impressive. So for all those reasons, I have Carson at 97. Now, I don't have him as a 98, 99 guy because I do reserve that for, I mean, I, I usually hate this term, so I can't believe I'm using it, but I'm going to use it anyway. Generational type guys. I love Carson. I thought he was fantastic for slasher. He was a huge part of our success the third straight undefeated regular season. But I don't know if I've seen enough for him to say that this guy is a generational level quarterback could he be a first round draft pick next year yes I I actually fully expect that could he be the number one overall draft pick sure there's an outside shot I'm not ready to say that at this point but I do think he has a strong chance to be a top 10 kind of guy in a first round draft pick. Again, I expect him to be a first round draft pick. Where he goes in the first round, that does depend on how he plays this year and how he progresses and does, and how he improves on some of the things that I do think he can improve on. But you guys know this. It's no secret. I don't make this a secret. I am sky high on Carson Beck. I believe in this guy. And I think we have every reason to believe that he is the best quarterback in the country returning this year. So i got him at a 97. All right, let's go to the backfield. Now, this one could might be a little controversial. Maybe some of you would push back on this. And hey, that's cool. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Trevor Etienne, transfer from Florida. I have him coming in with a player rating of 92. Now, some of you, I anticipate, would say that's a little inflated, that I'm looking at him through red and black color glasses right now. And maybe, I don't know, possibly, I guess. But look, this is a guy that I watched for two years at Florida, and I absolutely loved his game. I thought he was their best running back last year. I thought it was a disservice to their team that he did not get more carries than Montreal Johnson, who's a good back in his own right. He's not the explosive level athlete that Trevor Etienne is. He doesn't have the versatility that I believe Etienne has in his game. And so I've watched Florida. I told you guys coming in last year when we did our Florida scouting enemy, we were proving them before the season. Florida had an incredibly strong duo at running back coming to the season. I felt it was one of the strongest running back duos in the entire league and was certainly the strength of that team coming to the year. So this is not me just saying, oh, now he's on our team. I think he's great, but I thought he was garbage at Florida. No, you guys know. I've made it clear. I've been high on this guy for a couple of years now. So my high rating for him, I don't believe is coming out of nowhere. I don't think it's inconsistent. I think it's fairly consistent, very consistent, in fact, with how I felt about him and what I've said about him in the past. Now, I do think the argument to have him maybe under a 92, like maybe in the high 80s, is, okay, Tyler, where's the production? And I guess I should have said this at the outset. When I am given these player grades, it's a combination of A, their production to this point, how have you produced at the college level, and B, the eye test, what I think of your talent level. Now, I know that is extraordinarily subjective. The production, that's not subjective. Those are numbers, right? Those are stats. That The eye test, there's certainly some, some subjectivity in there. So those are really the two primary factors I'm looking at, and I'm also kind of projecting forward, okay, maybe you were a freshman last year, you were young, and we saw some really positive signs, but you just weren't quite ready to be that guy, and, and some of these guys I will be projecting forward, again, based off of your your talent level and what I think of your overall athletic ability, so that's kind of how I'm going about this, and so that's how I'm looking at Trevor Etienne. I think this guy is an incredible athlete at the running back position. I think he has very, very underrated, deceptive power. He's five nine, so you look at him, you're like, oh, he's a small back. No, he's not. He's a short back. It's kind of what I've always said about. Uh, like DeAndre Swift back in the day. Yeah, DeAndre was short, dude wasn't small. Dude was thick, man, and that's the same thing I would say here with Trevor Etienne. He is not small. He he will put his shoulder down, he will run behind his pads and he will run through you and he will bust-off tacklers. That's what this guy is going to do, but he also has that ability to hit the home run plays. I also love his versatility as a receiver out of the backfield. I think he has fantastic vision. I think he has elite elusiveness. This guy is just a playmaker. He's a straight-up playmaker. Now, I don't believe he got enough opportunities to make plays for Florida. That would be my criticism of Billy Napier at Florida. I don't think he gave one of his best playmakers enough touches. I know he loved Montrell Johns because he came over with him from Louisiana and and he's a good back in his own right. Yes, I understand that. But I think ETN was the more explosive back. I think he was a bigger playmaker. And he has, through two years, he has a little over 14, not a little over, he has almost 1,500 yards total rushing. And he added 172 yards receiving last year on 21 touches. He's got 15 total touchdowns through two years. Now, those numbers, that production, which is part of what I'm looking at here, is part of the equation, those numbers don't scream like, Low 90s. They probably scream like high 80s. I get that. So if you want to push back on that, that's fine. I I, I'll allow that. So a lot of Trevor Etienne is me projecting what I think of him as a player and what I believe that he can do if he was given more opportunities. Again, I think this guy is a dynamic playmaker. You get the ball in his hands, the dude is going to make plays for you. That's what he did at Florida. The guy averaged 6.1 yards per carry as a freshman. Averaged 5.7 yards per carry last year behind a really average to below average offensive line and behind our offensive line again projecting here behind our offensive line within our offensive scheme with who we have at quarterback and how teams have to account for our passing game I think Trevor Etienne is going to have the best year of his career and I think by the end of the year people who might not agree with him as a 92 right now might might be looking back and saying yeah yeah I I see what you're saying now so I've got him at a 92 you can disagree with that that's cool but hey it's my show. We got him in at 92. All right, next up, Branson Robinson. Now, this one was tough for me. We've seen small, small sample sizes of Branson Robinson back in 2022 as a freshman. Obviously, he had a huge game against Auburn at home back in 2022. I thought he might you know, use that as a springboard the rest of the season and get more carries. Didn't really necessarily work out that way, but he had a huge spring last spring before going down the injury late in spring, so we didn't get to see him at G-Day, and then he comes back. He's ready to go in fall camp and then promptly goes out for the season with an injury to patella tendon early in fall camp and he's out for the rest of the year so we didn't see him at all last year. So this is a guy that's it's tough to really to get a feel for what his player grade should be because we haven't seen that much of him. So for him I'm having to rely a lot on what kind of player were you coming out of high school? And I mean I'm not going to lie guys, some high school film here cuz that we've seen, I've seen more of that than actually him on the field here. And just what kind of athlete I know you are and what type of running back I think you are and what I think you can project to be based off, admittedly, a very small sample size. But let's also go back to last spring, guys. Branson Robinson coming into the 2023 season was going to be our undisputed feature back. He had an incredible spring. Guys I know were raving about him. And I was excited to see Majiday goes down with the injury. And it was like, fine, it's okay. He'll be back for the season. He'll be good to go. And it looked like that was going to happen. Then obviously, you know, suffers a second injury, and it was not meant to be. But this guy was going to be our feature back for a reason because the guy's a stud. Now, my only question here really is. How healthy are you to open the season? That remains to be seen. I don't know. I think it's fair to ask those questions. But again, I know what kind of player this guy is. I know what kind of physical specimen he is. I know... The home run speed he has, the elite short area quickness this guy has, obviously the power, that's undeniable. The, the low pad level with which he runs, the leverage, the contact balance, all of those things that you're looking for in a running back, he's got those. He's got him in spades, man. He's a big time back. So I've got Branson Robinson with a player grade of an 88. Now, some of you might think it's too high. Some of you might think it's too low. I don't know. I got him at 88 because, again, there's a very small sample size. I haven't seen a ton of him at the college level. I was very encouraged by what I did see of him, but I also come back to the injury. How healthy is he coming into this year? I don't know. I'm hopeful it's like same old Branson Robinson, maybe even better than ever Branson Robinson, but we don't know that yet, so I'm going to go 88 here. I could certainly, if someone wants to argue, he should be like a 90 based on like his physical profile. I would not put up a fight against that. But right now, I'm going to like cautiously here, just go with an 88 with the understanding that if he is like the Branson that I think he is and is healthy and ready to go, we're going to look back at the end of the year and say, oh yeah, this guy's his player grade should be way higher than an 88. So those are the top two backs I've got. And then let's go to the tight ends, the tight ends and receivers. Now, Oscar Delp is the returning, I don't if call him a starter Starter for some games last year, but played a ton for us. Obviously, we use a lot of 12 personnel. I don't think that's going to change this year, especially bringing Benjamin Yerosik in from Stanford. Delp is an interesting guy for me because he, as we talked about a lot last year, he's changed his body. And he's kind of turned himself into a different type of tight end than what he was coming into Athens. This is a guy that was like a mover tight end. That's what he was. He was a receiving threat in high school. That's what got him rated so highly a top 50 prospect nationally. But when you have Brock Bowers, then, you know, he's not really going to play that role because that's what Brock does. Brock is just, you know, better because Brock's maybe the greatest tight end in college football history. So Oscar, to get on the field, as talented as he was, he had to bulk up a little bit and learn to block. Now, there were some growing pains, obviously, with Oscar Delp learning to be a blocker. And I, even myself, was frustrated at times. And we talked about that on the show. But I do think he improved dramatically in that role as the season went on. I still think he has a great receiving ability. I still think he's a really strong athlete at the tight end position. He showed that at times last year. Did not get as many opportunities, obviously, with Brock being out there. I did get some more opportunities when Brock was hurt. And then he, he did perform well there and stepped up. So I don't. I just don't know what to think of him in terms of a player rating for this year because I don't know if is he going to stay in that more inline role or are we going to use him more in the the mover role, which is kind of what he was coming to high school. I'm more apt to believe we keep him in the role that he was in last year, and the big reason I believe that is bringing in Benjamin Yurasic. That guy is a mover tight end, and he's a damn good mover tight end. We'll get to him in a second here. So if you bring in Eurosic. I think you keep Delp where he says, Delp, I mean, we invested a full year or so in Delp getting ready to play that inline position, and if he doesn't play that inline tight end, the question becomes, who is it? Is it going to be Pierce Sperlin? I mean, he's got the body to do it, if he can use to add weight and strength, but like no experience whatsoever doing that. I mean, I guess Oscar had neither before he really kind of moved in that role. You could say lost and lucky, lost and lucky is kind of the... He's the interesting one here. So we bring in your Rossi, who I'm very, very high on, but I'm really high on loss and lucky too. I think it's made a very interesting battle. We have a lot of tight ends, a lot of guys that can be very productive for us. So I'm intrigued to see how that works out. But Oscar Delp, I'm going to go with an 83 here. And that's based on him playing the inline tight end role. I do think that he progresses a blocker as the year went on. The guy fights, he works, love him. But he's also not an elite blocking tight end. I think he's gotten to the point where he is a good to at times very good blocking tight end, but not consistently very good and certainly not elite yet. Now, maybe he becomes that this year, working on a second year, getting his body maybe even bigger and stronger than it was a year ago. And look, Oscar Dub, guys, I've been told that he is pound for pound, maybe the strongest guy on the entire team. So it's not a strength thing. It's just like he's got to add size. It's not, you know. Darnell Washington, who's 270 pounds, and he'll never be that. So I think we kind of also compare him to Darnell because Darnell was so so elite at what he did in that role. And Delp just isn't the same guy. He's just not the same type of player as Darnell. Like I said last year, I still think he's playing out of position. I think he'd be more effective as a mover tight end, but I also think, and I get what the coaches are saying, he's the best option we have to play that in-role role in-line in tight end role and that is an important part of our offense so you, you just kind of put him there and he kind of has to sacrifice for the team and I re- have a lot of respect for that so I got up coming in at an 83 if you want to have him a little higher I can respect that I could see anywhere if I get 83 to an 86 I'm cool with that all right next up Benjamin Urosic. I am going to go ahead right now I'm projecting him to be a, a starter at tight end if we if we're starting in 12 personnel I think he is going to be our primary mover tight end I do think that Lawson Lucky will get some looks there as well but Eurosic, we brought this guy in for a reason. This guy is big time. And I mentioned this earlier this week, I think on the mailback episode. I just don't think the average Georgia fan really gets how good this guy is. And as I keep saying over and over again with him, because I just don't want people to get their hopes up too high, because he's not going to be Brock Bowers. But he is... Maybe Brock Bowers light esque. I think he has that ability. He's not Brock. Okay, he's not going to play like Brock. He's not going to be that good. He's not a two-time Mackey Award winner, but he's still a really, really, really good tight end and a very productive tight end. Now, last year's good his numbers. You'd say, oh, 16 catches, 239 yards. Like, what are you talking about, Tyler? You're an idiot. The guy didn't play half the year, and they also had one of the worst quarterback situations in the entire country last year, and their offense was just an absolute disaster. It was a freaking train wreck. Half the time, they couldn't even score to save their freaking lives. So it was just a bad offense, bad year for Stanford, and he was hurt for most of the year, okay? You go back to the 2021 season. As a freshman, the guy put up 42 receptions for 653 yards, 15.5 yards per catch, three touchdowns in the Stanford offense with the off- the offensive talent around him that is not even remotely close to the talent he's going to have to work with in Athens in a quarterback situation that's not remotely close to what he's going to have to work with in Athens with Carson Beck let's compare that to Brock Bowers again Brock is elite Brock is a freaking dude but as a freshman Brock was freaking awesome all-american 56 catches, 882 yards, 15.8 yards per catch, 13 touchdowns. So yes, clearly Brock was more productive, Brock was better, but it's also not like Urosic was all that much further off. So he had 653 yards in 12 games. Brock had 882 yards in 15 games. So if you adjust those numbers to account for the number of games they actually played, the numbers are actually remarkably similar. Over the course of 12 games in 2021, Benjamin Urosic as a freshman averaged 3.5 catches per game and 54 yards receiving per game. Brock Bowers in 2021 as a freshman through the course of 15 games averaged 3.7 catches per game and 58.8 yards per game. So he averaged 0.2 catches more per game and Bowers averaged five, basically five yards more receiving games. So yes, Brock is a better player, but all I'm telling you is it's not like Yuracic can't come in and fill that production and be highly, highly productive in that role for us. He absolutely can. Over the course of the last three years, the only three tight ends to put up more yards receiving from the tight end position than Benjamin Yuracic, I said this earlier in the week, so if you heard it, I'm sorry to repeat again, I know some of you might have missed it, are Brock Bowers, who's going to be a first-round draft pick, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, who was a first-round draft pick, and Don Kincaid, who's now starting for the Buffalo Bills. The guy's a big-time tight end. He's an athlete. He's got really strong hands. He has an understanding for how to sit down in zones and just get open. He's certainly not as much of a threat with the ball in his hands after the catch as Brock Bowers. He's not. That's where Brock certainly has a major advantage over him, but Yurasek is an athlete. I he can certainly make some plays after the catch, just not the way that Brock did. So I'm really, really high on this guy. I don't think people understand how good he is. I think... I don't know if I've ever seen less of a reaction to Georgia picking up a big-time player that's going to really help us this year than I have with Benjamin Urosik. I think people are just kind of like, eh, shoulder shrug, whatever, and I'm like, what? This guy's crazy awesome. So, I say all that to explain why I have given Benjamin Urosik a player grade of 89. I'm not quite ready to go to 90. I was tempted, guys, because I believe in him. If you watch his tape, he does a lot. We can do a lot of the same things with him, that we did with Brock Bowers. Obviously, you can use him up the seams. You can use him in the screen game. You can use him in the RPO game. Hell, they even handed him the football at Stanford like we handed Brock Bowers the football. We can do a lot of the same things with this guy. It won't be quite as productive as Brock, but it's still going to be really good. So I've got Yorotsk at an 89. At wide receiver, I got Dominic Lovett. I was tempted to go a little higher with Lovett here, but I've got Lovett coming in at an 88. Okay, now the reason I was tempted to come in a little higher is I, I look back at what he did at Missouri. You know, so back in 2022 at Missouri... This guy was their number one receiver. I mean, he was one of the best receivers, one of the more productive receivers in the entire SEC. Didn't quite get 1,000 yards, but 846 yards, 15 yards per catch. Last year, put a different role for us. He was not the feature guy. He was the feature guy at Missouri in 22. He was not with us because we have Brock Bowers. But he was still a really productive player for us in the role that we use him. And clearly to open the season, we were using this guy in like an RPO role. We wanted to get the ball into his hands in, in space, hopefully one on one and allow him to go to work because he is an elusive guy. He also used to be a great punt return. I think he could be he could play that role for us this year a little bit as well, although I think it's probably gonna be Anthony Evans. But that's neither here nor there. So I was tempted to go a little bit higher because I do think this guy is explosive. I in some ways I think that we I don't know if I want to say we misused him. I think that we could have used him more effectively, which I guess that's the same thing as saying we misused him. I would have liked to have seen us use him with more slot fades. I said that many times. now that's just like one thing. I'm being really picky there. But that guy made a living off slot fades at Missouri, just like torching people. And when we gave him opportunities to do that last season, like against Georgia Tech, he showed what he can do. He's the same guy. He can do that. And we used the slot fade in the, what, the Orange Bowl against Florida State. It wasn't to, it wasn't to Dom, though. It was to anthony evans and that guy is just dynamite man so like you know i i do like mike bobo i think he's a really good office coordinator you guys know that some people some of you might disagree cool but i'm not I'm, like he's not immune to criticism i, I think there's some things they can improve on i think that we could have used dominic lovett a little bit more effectively last year and used him in a way that would have made more use of his skill set so i think that dominic lovett with the talent that he has has the potential to be our top receiver this year. Will he be? I don't know. I don't know. I think we have a lot of options there. I'm very curious to see how that plays out. But based off how we start to use him more as the season progressed, certainly with Brock Bowers going down, I think there's a chance that he will be a guy that we are certainly trying to feed the ball a lot to next year and maybe trying to use him in some different ways other than just like almost exclusively RPO game like we did early in the season. So I got him in an 88. I think he's an explosive player. I think he's a really talented player in space and I would like to see us use him a little bit more and I think that we will. Uh, The next guy here, I'm gonna just... I'm going to go off what the lineup was before he got hurt late in the season. I'm going to go with Ra Ra Thomas as the starter at X. That's certainly going to be a battle. That's not a done deal. He's going to have to fight for that position and retain that. But I think Ra Ra is really good now. Certainly to open the season, there were there was a period of time where he wasn't very productive, and we've talked about that a lot. He was trying to get used to the system. It was a very different system. It's a tough adjustment, tough learning curve going from the air raid to what we try to do with our more pro style offense. But he really started to come on late in the season. Had a that catch against Kentucky was was fantastic. The touchdown catch, like this guy is talented. Okay, he was the leading receiver in an air raid offense with Mike Leach back in 2022. Now it didn't work out that way for us because the learning curve. He did get injured late in the season, but he showed me enough. And look, I liked this guy when he was at as a, as a freshman actually at Mississippi State I was like this guy is going to be really freaking good I of course at that time I had no inkling he was ever going to end up at Georgia he does come to Georgia I was high on him when we when we landed him and yeah the learning curve was steep and it took some time for him to make the adjustment make the transition but he did right by the middle of the season this guy was was a weapon for us and I think coming to this year if he wins that job like he's going to play he's going to be in the rotation no matter what whether he starts or not I don't know how those, the starting lineups gonna work out but right now I'll just project him based off last year but he is going to be a playmaker for us this year. He's long, he's athletic, he's got really strong hands, he can win the 50-50 ball, win those contested catches. So I got Ra Ra coming in at an 89. I got him just one point higher than Love because I think he's more versatile than Dominic Levitt. I think he's a guy that... I mean, you're not going to use him the same way as use Love. He's not as quick as Love, but I do think that Ra Ra is that bigger body that can go and win just the tough catches. And I'm not saying Love it can't do that, but Ra Ra has shown more of that throughout his career. and been a little bit more productive. I mean, with the exception of last year when he was at Mississippi State, although that certainly that was a different kind of offense. But Dominic Love it Ra Thomas. I got him very similar there, but I got Love it an '88 and Ra at an '89. Dylan Bell depends on you know if we're in a 12 personnel or not. I don't know if he will start. Again, it just depends on the personnel groupings we have to open the game. But he's going to play a lot for us. And I have Dylan Bell coming in at an 85. Now, this is a, a guy that I I think I might be, like, woefully low on with his grade. And it's weird because I'm high on Dylan Bell. I think Dylan's going to be an awesome player for us. I think he really, really came on at the end of last year at receiver. And he's just another one of those guys just a playmaker. Like, he's just a freaking playmaker. He's just an offensive threat. You know, we play him at running back, play him at receiver. This guy just... Makes plays. I mean, what was his first carry was? I think it was right this season, and uh, goes for a freaking touchdown. Like he was fantastic for us. Just an overall underrated athlete. He's just like one of those guys. He's a football player. But the only reason I'm having his 85 is I need hit to see him do it more consistently at receiver. We saw at the end of the season, and I'm very, I'm very hopeful, and I believe that he will. Be and take his game to an even higher level this year if he does indeed, which I think he will. I don't see reason why he wouldn't with a, with a running back room this year. If he does indeed get to play receiver full time this year, so that's why I think I could be really low on him. But like, if you're basing on production to this point, then that's part of the equation. Like the eye test tells me Dylan Bell is a freaking player, right? But production-wise, it's like, I mean, yeah, eye test. I think he's like, you know, maybe like a ninety-one, ninety-two kind of guy. But the production isn't quite there yet. So I got him in. I got him at an 85, and man, let's adjust that, guys, that's too low, I'm going to go 87, that's just too low, I can't, no, so we're adjusting on the fly here, right, it's my show, we can do this, so Dylan Bell coming in an 87 with certainly the potential to be like in the low 90s, maybe the mid 90s, man, that that might be a bit of a reach this year, but maybe, I don't know, we'll see, the guys making plays for us, we got opportunities last year, So that is all the skill players, at least the guys that I got projected to start here. So let's quickly go through the offensive line. Then we will turn things over to the defensive side of the ball. All right, Ernest Green at left tackle. Ernest, um, let's just put this nicely had some issues early in the year as you might expect him to as a redshirt freshman coming off of a significant back injury the year before but his talent is obvious like this guy's got really good feet he's got good length he's got good strength he just had to learn on the job you know and as the season progress I'll give the guy credit he really did learn on the job he improved he got better and I'm very hopeful that he can take an even better bigger step this year and actually I, I expect him to I think he has the potential to be a an NFL tackle like I think he could be he has the ability physically to even be like a first round guy maybe down the road will he develop into that I don't know I don't know with the year under his belt I'm certainly hopeful we'll have to see but if I'm basing it on a combination of production from last year and also, what I believe of his skill set, I got him in as an eighty-six. If it was just based on production last year, it would be like low eighties. The because I mean, he was just up and down. He was a freshman. He was it was. Uh, but I have him an eighty-six as a testament to how highly I think of his physical skill set and his ability. So this is another guy like Bell. Like I, I, I got him an eighty-six. But if he takes his game to the level that I think he can, and starts to max out his talent. He could absolutely be in the 90s. He could be an all SEC guy. Of course, he's got that potential, but the production just wasn't there consistently last year. So I got him in at 86. Dylan Fairchild's another guy. He did not open the season as a starter due to injury. was kind of inserted in that starting lineup at left guard, split some time with Micah Morris. And Fairchild early in the season specifically the Auburn game the Auburn game was a tough game for him like he was not good in that game but I'll give the guy credit he responded well came back kept fighting kept improving kept getting better and by the end of the year I thought Dylan Fairchild was awesome for it. I thought he was really, really really good and so was Micah Morris honestly it's like it's like 1A 1B there man those guys are just both really really talented players at that guard position in that rotation so with Dylan being up and down at times last year in his first real playing time his production wasn't consistent, so I would have his like, based on production, probably like low 80s, but he's another guy that, I mean, he's another guy I've been told like pound for pound is one of the strongest guys on the team, I thought he really improved as the year went on, I think he's really, really good in the run game, I thought he got better as a pass protector as the season went on, so I like Fairchild's potential, so I got him in an 87, I have him one point higher than Green's, I do think he was more consistent than Green was throughout the year, I really do believe that, so very similar, but I got him in an 87, uh, at center, replacing Cedric Van Praan, That's quite the tall task, right? But looks like it's gonna be Jared Wilson. This is just a guy that we haven't seen a ton of. So he's a really hard player for me to project. He also wasn't like this like super highly rated guy coming out of high school. So I've got Jared Wilson at an 81. I think that's a fair grade for him because it's hard to really base off any kind of production from last year. We don't really exactly know fully what his skill set looks like. I mean, you only tell so much from the high school tape when you talk about offensive linemen. I know our coaches are high in him. I know that our players like him. And I know that he's like, seen as the heir apparent to Cedric Van Pran. So you want to believe that he is a talented player. But I'm going to cautiously go with an 81 here. Certainly could be higher by the end of the season. And almost certainly will be higher by the end of the season. Then at right guard the highest-rate offensive lineman I've got is Tate Ratlidge, and I got Tate with a a player grade of 92. Tate could have gone to the NFL this year, guys. He would not have been drafted in the first round. I don't know. Maybe a mid-round kind of guy. Maybe he could have snuck into the the late second, third with a good combine. I don't know. I think Tate's got awesome potential. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever develop into a first-round guy, but... I think he could be a second-round guy, and that's one of the reasons he came back. And if he has a hell of a year, then maybe he could work himself into like you know late first-round conversations. There's certainly that possibility. I don't think it's the likeliest outcome right now, but I think it's possible. I wouldn't completely discount it. But I think Tate has potential to be a really, really, really good college offensive lineman. And he's another guy who struggled some, like inexplicably, to open the season. I thought he was really good at the end of 2022. I think he was one of our best offensive linemen at the end of 2022. I thought he was great. And so I expected him to just like... Right out the gate, be that dude, be like like push for like all SEC first team, maybe even all American type stuff. He didn't work out that way. He was kind of a slow starter, like most of our offensive linemen were last year. It was really a tough start for them, but he also drastically improved as the season went on. So I think Tate Radledge has the potential. I think he improved enough last year, and his it his. Production from 2022 speaks for itself. The guy was fantastic for us the back half of that season. So I've got Tate Ratledge at a 92. I think that's a fair grade for him. There are times where he gets a little overextended and will just kind of whiff on guys. It happens from time to time with him. But the vast majority of the time, he does a really good job getting his hands on defenders. He's got good power. He'll drive them. Um, he's got good fees good athletes good in pass pro I think he's a really strong offensive lineman I do think he could be all all SEC first team kind of guy this year but I did think of that last year but this year it's gonna happen I got the feeling this year so I got Tate Ratledge at a 92 is that a tad aggressive maybe but I believe in Tate and then at right tackle this is tough is it gonna be Xavier Truss is it gonna be Monroe Freeling I don't know I'm gonna project Monroe Freeling here I think Xavier Truss will be like the sixth man he'll be in a rotation he might play some guard might play some tackle it probably if I had to project right now, it'd probably be like a three-man rotation at tackle between Ernest Green, Monroe Freeling, and Xavier Trust. That would be my projection. We'll see how it transpires, but that's kind of what I would get the feeling I get coming into spring practice, but I'm going to go with Monroe Freeling at right tackle to start the season, and I've got Monroe's player grade as an 84, all right? There's very little production. He played some last year when Marius Mims was hurt and Xavier Trust was hurt a little bit. And I was impressed with what I saw from Freeling when he got opportunities. But we're talking about an extraordinarily small sample size, kind of like Branson Robinson, right? So from a production standpoint, it's hard to say anything more than like high 70s, low 80s. But this is another guy that I believe in from an athletic standpoint, from a physical skill set standpoint. This guy was a five-star player coming out of high school. He's got awesome footwork. He's incredibly athletic. The issue with him coming to high school, though, and why he didn't really factor more into the lineup right away, is that he was just light in the britches, man. He had to gain weight. He was like 270 coming out of high school. He had to get into a, a college strength program. And to his credit, took advantage of that and got bigger, got stronger. He's about 300 or so now. So he's the size he needs to be. So if he is, if he's filled out his frame, I know what kind of athlete this guy is. The production still remains to be seen. He's got to do it. But I believe he can do it. So based on my belief in his skill set and what he can be, his potential, I'm going to bump him up to an 84. I think that's a fair grade for Monroe Freeling. But so, uh, yeah, that's our offense, guys. When we come back from this first break, we'll flip things over to the defensive side of the ball, and we'll see what we've got there with those player grades. But first, let me remind you about our wonderful friends at MyBookie. I love Saturdays during the winter. I know it's cold and everything. I mean, it's not... Fall Saturdays, it's not, but I still love college ball on a good Saturday because it's just games like from noon till one AM. Okay, like do with football, and you're just watching it all day long. I don't know about you guys, I'm on the couch watching football and watching basketball all through the winter, all through the fall. That's what I do. So have some fun, guys. Like if you're if you're kind of down because there's no college football, I get it, but don't just mope around. Let's be solution oriented. Let's get into college basketball. Have some fun this weekend, and there's no better place to have that fun with than my bookie, guys. It just makes those games games a lot more fun to watch games you wouldn't even normally care about you have a little something on it makes it a little bit more exciting so jump in go to mybookie.ag and when you sign up for a brand new account use our promo code uga and you get a 50 percent bonus on your first deposit it's tough to beat that guys they're giving you free money so take advantage of it while you can at mybookie.ag promo code uga so you can bet anything anytime anywhere only with mybookie. All right, guys, let's keep these player grades going. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to start up front on the defensive line. And let's go with Nazir Stackhouse. I've got Naz Stackhouse's player grade at an 86. He was a tough one for me because he was a different player last year than he was in 22. 22, I think he might have been hungrier. I don't know, he played at a higher level. He was a more consistent player, more consistent at the point of attack than he was last year. Last year, I saw this guy get moved off the point of attack I don't want to say with regularity, that's not fair to him, that's not accurate, but far more often than I did in 2022. It didn't really happen much in 2022. I mean, the SEC championship game, guys, I mean, he was just getting, like, thrown around, and it's like, that can't happen. So, two different years, two different seasons, a little bit of a down year for him, which I think is a big reason of why he came back, and he actually has admitted as much. He's like, guys, I wasn't good enough last year. I can't go out like that. I want to come back and get my game back to the right spot, and I respect him for that. So, I've got Nas in 86. I think he is the epitome of a solid, solid football player, which to me to me is like mid-80s. 85, 86, you are very, very good. You're a good football player. Not elite, but you're a good, solid football player. And I think that's what Nasir Stackhouse is for us in the middle of that defense. So in his third year as a starter, I think 86 is a good fair grade for him. Warren Brinson is another guy. Like Stackhouse, I, I think he's just a really good player football player is Warren Brinson an elite disruptive game changer on the interior of our defensive line no he has not proven to be that but he still can be disruptive he can absolutely affect a game he's just not a disruptor and a game changer in the same way that that Jalen Carter was or Devontae White or Jordan Davis he's just not that kind of guy but he's got great first step quickness I think he's a guy that can get in the backfield penetrate cause some disruption to that at times for us last year I also thinks he gives us some good pass rush but he's not an elite guy, so I got Warren Brins coming in at 87. The reason I have him one point higher with his grade than Stackhouse, I thought he was more consistent for us last year. I just thought he was a flat-out more consistent player than Nazir Stackhouse was. So by virtue of that, he gets an 87. Michael Williams, moving over to the Jack linebacker position this year. I was really tempted to put Michael in the 90s. I think by the end of this year, in the Jack role, he will be a 90-plus 90, 90 caliber player if we were doing this projecting like to, to like, you know, after the 2024 season. Okay? I believe in Michael Williams and the skill set. But I have him as an 89. The reason I have him as an 89, just short of a 90, is the production hasn't been at a 90 level okay it just hasn't quite been there now part of that is a function of position he played playing more as the five tech which is not really a glamour pass rush position for us he's still been a solid pass rusher for us but he has not yet quite been that consistent pass rushing threat that we kind of hoped he would be moving him to jack i do believe will give him more of an opportunity to do that because that is more of a true pass rushing position for us and certainly he'll still be playing the run on first and second downs no standard downs but I think he will help address our edge issues a lot. But I have him at 89. Like, production-wise, he probably could be a mid-80s. I have him at 89 because I do believe in the physical skillset. This guy is an elite athlete. I think we're making the right move, moving him to Jack Linebacker. And again, I think he'll be higher than 89 by the end of the year. We'll be looking back and saying, Tyler, wow, you were an idiot. But right now, based on the production at this point, it's hard for me going into this season to have him anything higher than 89. I can't quite go into the 90s yet. And then at Michael's old five-tech position, right now I would project... Tyrion Ingram Dawkins to be the starter. There's a number of guys that will vie for playing time there. Gabe Harris will vie for some playing time. He's c- continuing to add some good weight. I think Joseph Jonah Janye, the true freshman, will also push to be in their rotation at 5 Tech, but right now I think the safest bet would be Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, who is basically splitting time with Michael along with a little bit of uh, Tremel Walthauer as well at that position last year, but I think TID is a really good fit at the 5 Tech. He is a really athletic player. He's not quite Trayvon Walker level athletic. He's not that, but he's a good athlete there. He actually can give us some strong pass there. He's given that to us at times. And I think he's a strong edge setter as well. I think he has a lot of versatility in his game. We haven't seen a ton of him, you know. But last year, the, well, he debuted in the Florida game. After that, he was a staple in our defense and played a lot of football for us and played some very good football for us. So, I've got TID in eighty-seven. I don't think he's shown us that he's an elite player, like an elite difference maker at that position. But I think that. He has shown that he is a very good player in that position with the potential to develop into an elite player there if he gets more reps and he has a full year maybe of getting like the number one reps at that position, which he very well might this offseason. So I got TID at an 87. I really, really like that guy. An inside linebacker, let's go Smile Munden here. I got Smile coming in at a 92. This one was another one that was tough for me because in 22, Smile was awesome fantastic last year he was injured to open the season kind of somewhat got healthy then later the season he got banged up again and was out there toughing it out for us like what a warrior man I know like the tech game had no business playing the SEC championship game really had no business playing this guy's out there just doing his best man trying to make it happen but he clearly wasn't fully healthy and he just didn't have the same year he had in 2022 like he just didn't and I think a big the primary factor behind that was the injury situation But I know what kind of player Smile Munden is. He showed me that in 2022. I know what kind of athlete this guy is. He is a true, legit, new age, silent to silent inside linebacker who has the ability to rush the passer, who can cover in space, play in space, run silent to sideline. He is that guy. So I think the world of him from a talent standpoint, yes, last year was was not a a banner year for him. I understand that. But I'm going to go back, and I remember what I saw in 2022. So based off that production... And based off what I know his physical ability is, I'm going Smile Monday at a 92, and I do absolutely believe he'll be a starter for us at that position. Now, the next two, I, I'm throwing C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson both in here, all right? I know that only two of them are going to start. I fully understand how our defense works. Yes, I get that. But, I mean, C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson are almost interchangeable right now. I mean, those they're going to be battling for a spot there. They're both going to play a lot. I would venture to say they both play about the equal, same amount of time this year would be my guess coming into the year. Now, C.J. is the guy that got the majority of the, the publicity, the praise, last year among those freshman inside linebackers. And I get it. He was the guy that was healthy to open the season. He was in the lineup earlier and made some plays for us. Played really, really, really well against Ole Miss and that first start. Was awesome in that game. But he also had a lot of freshman moments. Auburn rings a bell with all the misdirection they were running. Uh, Tech also really, really worked, uh, worked to try to exploit some of his deficiencies in terms of just, like, understanding what they're trying to do to him and the misdirection, reading keys, things along those lines. He had some issues there. He did. And Tennessee actually did a good job of kind of exploiting some of those deficiencies as well. I don't think the game in Knoxville was a, was a particularly good game for him either. So he kind of had that great game against Ole Miss, and it's kind of like, after that, like, oh, yeah, you're still a freshman. But saying that, he did clearly show the type of athletic ability he has. And that's, I mean, he was really advanced, from a knowledge standpoint, understanding the defense standpoint as a freshman, like compared to other freshmen, but he still didn't fully have grasp of the defense. He still wasn't playing completely free and fast all the time there are far too many plays where he's just sitting there just kind of like he's reading too slow he's just kind of standing there he's not attacking the line of scrimmage he's allowing blockers to get up on him and control him he can't make the play on the ball that happened far too often but he's a freshman those kind of things happen a freshman the skill set is there okay he's a i think he's more in, in the vein of like a pop dumas johnson more of a traditional downhill thumping linebacker but he is a better athlete than pop was he can run better than pop did i'll give him that Raylan wilson is the superior athlete between him and CJ Allen. I know people were high on CJ, higher on C, on CJ, because he played more early. Raylan was hurt to open the season that put him behind. But as the season went on, he played more and more. Now, a lot of the same things I said about CJ you can say about Raylan. Playing, not playing at full speed all the time, not because he's lazy and not hustling, but because he's still learning and he wasn't sure about things. When you're thinking too much out there, you don't play as fast. And both those guys, as freshmen, were thinking too much out there. And they weren't playing at full speed. Now, when... Raylan Wilson turned it loose and was confident. That guy showed what kind of player he is going to be. The athleticism is off the freaking charts, guys. That guy is an NFL linebacker. I think CJ is an NFL linebacker. I mean, Smile Munn is an NFL linebacker. These guys are awesome. But I got CJ coming in at an 88. That's a that's largely based on a projection of like his physical ability and talent. Because production-wise, like, I mean, I would say mid to high 70s last year. And I would say the same thing for Raylan Wilson, mid to high 70s. But again, you got to factor in the context here. They were freshmen. I saw enough of them in flashes to think now with more knowledge of the system where they can play faster and more freely on a more consistent basis, that that talent, that skill set will shine through on a far more consistent basis than it did last year. So this is certainly a very projective grade for both of them. I got CJ at an 88 and I got Raylan Wilson at 89. I know a lot of you probably disagree. You would have C.J. Allen graded higher than Raylan Wilson. And that's cool. I can respect that. But I just, I, I I think Raylan's a better athlete. And in this day and age of college football and teams attacking space offensively, you need athletes out there. I think Raylan's more in line with what Smile Munden is. I think he's just a better overall athlete. Can do all the things, you know, attacking downhill that C.J. does, but is just a better sideline to sideline kind of guy, I think he's a better blitzer, I think he'll develop into a better blitzer, so, and it, but we're, we're splitting hairs here, guys, again, we're talking about 8-9 versus 88, like, it's not like I'm saying Raylan's, like, definitively, like, like 95 to 88 better than, than C.J. Allen. I just, I prefer Raylan Wilson slightly more than C.J. Allen. So really high on both those guys. I think they're both going to have huge years for us this year in their sophomore seasons. I'm also going to throw Jalen Walker in here. I know he's not a starter, at least he wasn't last year, but this guy was by far our most disruptive pass rusher last year. He led the team in sacks, sacks on the season. Honestly, as much as I love Kirby Smart, and I love Glenn Schumann, I think it's borderline indefensible. This guy did not play more because he was our most disruptive force on defense, he was by far our best pass rusher, no questions asked, and to really only play him in our dime package, I just, I disagree with it, and I know that those coaches know far more than I do, but from a personal standpoint, like I'm not going to criticize them from an X's and O's standpoint, because they are just like vastly more knowledgeable than I am, like they have PhDs, I, I'm, I'm like working on my bachelor's degree, those guys got PhDs, right, but from a personnel standpoint, I think that's where there's there's they're more open to criticism here. And I just think Jalen Walker needs to be on the field more. And he's got to be on the field more this year. Now the problem is I know is like okay, he's a tweener, he's the inside linebacker, he's an outside linebacker. I understand that. So how do we get him on the field? I don't know, man. Find a way. Get the guy on the freaking field. That's why you're paid $10 million a year. Figure out a way. Figure out a way to get your most disruptive pass rusher on the field, especially when you have issues rushing the passer rush in general. Get the guy on the freaking field. When he was on the field last year, the dude was a monster. He was elite. I know he did not play a ton. I fully am aware of that. But based off what I saw from Jalen Walker when he was on the field last year, I'm going 90. In fact, this might be underselling Jalen Walker because if he does play more this year, which I think he will, he's almost got to, this guy could be a 95-level kind of player. Like, I'm dead serious, guys. This guy could be a 95-caliber player. I mean, he could be a, a double-digit sack guy if he plays more. Just depends if he gets on the field. We've got to find a way. It's tough. It's tough when the inside linebacker is as stacked as it is, because he is really physically an inside linebacker. He's not really big enough to hold up on the edge as a jack. That's why he's not really playing jack. That's why we have Michael Williams there. You play him at Jack, yeah, you rush the passer, but you're all those issues we had to fit in the the, uh, the edge run last year, you're gonna see a lot of that again if you have Jalen Walker playing out of position at, at Jack and standard down. So I understand that, but you gotta get him on the field, he's gotta be in the rotation at inside linebacker on standard and then on, on standard downs he's gotta be in the rotation. Then on on obvious passing downs and our dime package package you get back to doing what you did with him last year but he's got to play man he's got to play like man if he's not playing 50% of our defense to snap something's wrong because that guy's just too good to be off the field just put it out there all right so that's the inside linebackers let's go to the secondary here I got Dalen Everett I actually had him a little bit lower initially but I I rethought it and I bumped up a little bit Dalen had his struggles at times last year especially early year but we also again have to factor in the context first year starter he is really good in the perimeter run game. Like, he's really good defending the perimeter runs, a really strong tackler, perimeter screen game, really strong there. Coverage at times was, it left something to be desired, certainly, but he's a guy I really thought got better last year. It wasn't like, it was. the beginning of the year was kind of like Keely Ringo, where you're consistently in position, but you just aren't tracking the ball, and you're not, the awareness wasn't there. But that got better as the season progressed. The ball skills, the awareness really improved, and that was a really strong sign for me, Going to this year. So, based off that, I got Dalen Everett coming in at 87 with his player grade. And then the guy that I'm projecting to be the starter opposite him on the other side, there's certainly going to be some competition. Daniel Harris will factor in the competition. So will Ellis Robbins in the fourth. But right now, I'm still going to project Julian Humphrey to be the starter at the other cornerback opposite Everett. And I got Humphrey at an 86. Here's why I got Humphrey at 86, guys. If Dalen Everett was a starter over Humphrey last year, and I've got Dalen at 87, how can I feasibly have Jul- Julian Humphrey rated ahead of him right now but I think they're they're very comparable they're different kind of players Julian's a better cover guy Dalen's better in the perimeter run game but I think Julian's really good both these guys have the potential to be in the 90s this year they absolutely do but based off production from last year and then factoring of course their their talent and their skill set the potential I've got Everett at an 87 and Humphrey at an 86 all right let's go to the safety position Malachi Starks is the highest rated player on the team for me this year. I got Malachi Starks coming in at a 98. Now, I have him ahead of Carson Beck at a 97 because Malachi Starks, if you look at the production standpoint, Malachi Starks was a first team All-American last year. Now, that is a subjective deal. I understand that, but also like you can't, you only look at stats at the safety position as much as you do quarterbacks. It's hard to compare them based on statistics alone. So as a first team All-American, that's something that, Carson Beck does not have, and Malachi Starks physically is a freaking dude. We all know this. He took over that starting job basically game two last year, or in 2022, after playing awesome against Oregon. You can't keep him off the field, and he, I thought he was tremendously improved last year from 22 to 23, and this year, I think he's going to take an even bigger step, and I know we're all, yeah, we wanted Caleb Downs. I understand that, guys, but also, why is Caleb Downs better than Malachi Starks? He's not. I'm not saying that Caleb Downs is not good. He's really good. I would have loved to have Caleb Downs, but we're okay because Malachi Starks is still here, and that guy is every bit the player Caleb Downs is. And I love him. I mean, the guy is physical. He's extraordinarily fast. He's a, a just a fantastic athlete. He can play center field. Can fill the run lanes. This guy can cover. He can do it all. Play in space. Whatever you need him to do. This guy's an NFL player, NFL starter in the future, hands down, no questions asked. Malachi Starks, 98 highest rated player on the team. Uh, Janelle Aguero at the star position. I'm projecting him to be the star defender I've got Janelle in 85 again production wise like he basically I mean he didn't really play last year he played garbage time right so production you got you had to have him like in the mid 70s probably but this is another guy I'm projecting based on what I think of him as a player his skill set his potential I mean I was raving about this guy last year I mean Tyke Smith maybe me look like a fool because he just raised his level I mean, he was awesome for us last year, so Janelle never got on the field, and I was wrong in that, but I still believe in Janelle Aguero. I think it was about Janelle. I think it was about Janelle being young and then Tyke being a veteran and also just playing at a much higher level than he had and just playing off the charts. So I'm still high on Janelle Aguero. I think his athleticism is unbelievable. He's big. He's physical. He's fast. He's athletic. All of those things. I think he's a prototype for us at the star position. He can also play safety. We'll see how that how that plays out this year. But right now we're gonna go with Star because that's where he was the number two guy last year in the 2D. So I'm gonna go with Janelle Aguero in eighty-five. And then the the second safety spot, that man, that's that's gonna be a competition. There's it's tough to know right now. But I'm going to go David Daniel at this point. It could be Jake Pope coming over from Alabama. It could be KJ Bolton as a true freshman. Hell, it could be Dirty Dan Jackson. You, know, you don't know. It's going to be a fierce competition there. But Daniel's been around for a long time. He has some start. He has some actual starting experience. I guess Dan Jackson does too. But Daniel, I think, is just a better overall athlete than, than Dan. I mean, maybe not all that much, but I'm going to go David Daniel here. I thought Daniel was better in 2022 when he was playing in that, that dime package role coming as our money. When uh, Dan went down last year, he got the start. If you remember when Javon Buller was hurt early in the year, he got a start, and I, he didn't he didn't play that well in that game. To be quite honest with you, he just really didn't. So because of that, I mean, it's a very small sample size here. It's tough. I don't think the production has been elite. But I do think he's a talented, solid football player. So right now I'm gonna go David Daniel at an 83. He's been around the system. He knows at least he knows the defense. I think he's got a. I think he's got a very very high floor. Maybe a lower ceiling than a guy like KJ Bolden, but I think he does have a higher floor right now because he just knows what's going on. So I'm gonna go David Daniel with an 83. And then with our specialist here, real quick, I've got. Brett Thorson coming in at an 88 now again he might only punt like 15 times this year who knows but when he's out there the guy gets a lot of hang time on the football now he doesn't like punt you know he doesn't average 60 yards a punt or anything like he can kick the freaking football along if he wants to but the hang time is awesome there's a reason why teams just like didn't return punts against us last year because well number one we didn't punt that much number two the hang time's out of this world, man. Like, unbelievable stuff. So Brett Thorson can give him an 88. Peyton Woodring was a little shaky at first last year It's a true freshman. But really, really came on. Ended up being a really strong player for us. Was 21 of 25 on the season. I think this guy could be in the 90s for us at the end of the year. I'm going to cautiously here go with an 87. I think he's a really good player. I haven't seen anything to say he's an elite kicker yet. I need to see him be a little bit more consistent from distance. But another guy, again, very, very high floor The ceiling is there. He's just got to get there. He hasn't quite gotten there yet. So I'm going to say 87 for Peyton Woodring as our kicker. But all right, guys. There you have it. Those are our player-grade projections for the NCAA 2025 football game. Just some fun, like, you know, very arbitrary stuff, but certainly trying to put some thought into it based on production, and also my expectations, my belief in their skill, skill level, their talent, their athleticism, their ability, all of those things. And when we come back, guys, I do have one more thing I want to review here. We are losing a legend. The University of Georgia is losing a legend, and I do want to briefly talk about that. But first, I do remind you guys again about our friends at Alumni Hall, Guys, Alumni Hall is is the place to go. If you're looking for Georgia gear, there's no better place for you to pick up Georgia gear up than Alumni Hall. They have everything you possibly want. They have the best selection of brands. I know people have different preferences when it comes to brands, but it doesn't matter what you prefer. They're going to have it. They have Nike, Nike Golf, Cutter and Buck, Peter Millar. They've got the Johnny O stuff that I've really come to like. They've got Columbia. They've got Southern Tide. You name it, guys. They're going to have it. They've got Polos, they've got hoodies, whatever you're looking for. They got an awesome selection of hats, a whole entire hat wall, in fact. They got stuff for your office, your car, whatever you're looking for, guys, with a G on it, with a Georgia logo on it. Alumni Hall has got you covered. The best selection of Georgia gear anywhere. So make sure to stop in today, either in store at the epsbury Shopping Center here in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because y'all know that is where the Bulldogs shop. Alright, guys, real quick here. I wanted to open with this, but I know football is is what you guys care about more than anything. But we as University of Georgia, we are losing a legend. Tennis coach, longtime Georgia tennis coach Manuel Diaz has elected to step down at the end of this season after 35 years as the Georgia tennis head coach. This man has spent 46 years in our tennis program, first as a player, then as assistant, then as the head coach. 40 Six years in our program and in those 46 years this man has been nothing short of remarkable as a coach as a developer of players as a developer of young men a mentor to these guys Manny M- Manny's the goat Manny's the goat of, of college tennis coaches of men's college tennis coaches this guy is absolutely the goat he's got four outdoor national titles two indoor national titles Dan McGill one of the all-time great Georgia Bulldogs Straight up, built our tennis program. In fact, Dan McGill essentially built college tennis, if you aren't aware of that. He essentially is like the architect of college tennis and he built our program. He brought Manny in though, and the Manny took that mantle and he freaking ran with it, y'all. And he elevated Georgia men's tennis to legitimate blue blood status in the world of college tennis. I know college tennis is not a mainstream college sport. I understand that. I talk it on here because I love college tennis. I love Georgia tennis. So y'all know what I talk about. But look, I i, I mean, I know I'm, I'm biased. I'm a Georgia guy. But anyone who knows anything about college tennis will tell you Georgia is a true blue blood of college tennis. And Manny is the winningest head coach in SEC history. 771 victories. He's won an SEC title in five different Decades, with the most recent title being last year with the 2023 regular season title. And this is wild, guys. In his entire career as a Georgia head coach, we did not ever one single time miss the NCAA tournament. Never once. You talk about consistency and not even just consistency, but consistently elite level of play. I mean, Manny Diaz is one of the greatest college coaches in any sport in the history of college athletics. And that's not hyperbole, guys. The numbers speak for themselves. Let me give you guys a few more numbers here, all right? So we have, as a program, the University of Georgia, we have won 32 regular season SEC titles, 32. The next closest program, Florida, has won a grand total of 12 regular season SEC titles. We've almost tripled the next closest team in SEC titles, combined between regular season and tourney titles, we've got 42. Again, the next closest, Florida with 18. We are and always have been, certainly in the Manny Diaz era, been the dominant force in SEC tennis. Like, like not even close, guys. Like we are the beast of the SEC in college tennis. And then beyond the team success, he's also produced five singles national championships and three doubles national championships, with the most recent singles national championship being Ethan Quinn last year as a freshman. So we're going to miss many. I'm going to miss many guys. We're talking about the greatest of all time at what he did. I mean, He is a true living legend of the game, a living legend of the University of Georgia, and I'm just so appreciative of everything he did for the University of Georgia. I go to essentially all the Georgia tennis matches, and it's going to be weird going to the men's tennis matches and Manny Diaz not being out there. It's already weird that Jeff Wallace on the women's side is not out there, although I love Drake. He's doing a fantastic job. just weird to not see these guys. They've been there for like 40 years, and now they're not going to be there. I mean, Manny's going to finish out the year, but... It's just gonna be a weird, weird thing, man. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna be kind of surreal. It's gonna be strange, but this guy's a legend, and uh, man, like we should all be just so grateful for what he did for our program. Now, some of you might be asking, okay, well, why? Like, why are you announcing that right now? Well, I don't have any inside knowledge on that. I, I, I don't want to speak for Manny, but I can speculate and give you my thoughts on why. We talked about that. I think, I think this last week we had a question about men's tennis and like what's going on. We're losing four oh four oh. What's happening to men's tennis? And as I said last week, we were kind of set up to make another run in national title. So we're, we're hosting the NCAA tournament again, finally, in 2026. I thought Manning would try to stick it out through that to host one more time. And we had set up an incredible run of recruiting classes we had Ethan Quinn who won the singles national title last year played court one for us Alex Mickelson was coming over from California he was a commit he was supposed to be a freshman this year who by the way just got his first top 10 victory in the world so he'd be the number nine player in the world so he's now like inside the top 70 in the world the guy's like I think he might be 19 now he was supposed to be here and they had this other guy named Ignacio Buse who um, was South American player and he was a five he was the, not just a five star like a blue chip player big time guy he decided to go pro so we were supposed to have all three of those guys on the same team. If we had all three of those guys on the same team, I I just don't see any world where we don't win the national title. There's good teams out there. Ohio State's really good this year. TCU's really good this year. Wake Forest is really good this year. Good teams. Virginia, really, really good teams out there. But I mean, there's just, I don't think there's anyone that could have matched up with our depth. If you have Quinn... Mickelson and Buse who all all three could play court one and would play court one on like 99% of other teams out there but you're playing court one two and three and you could play Thomas Paul Sell who was a former top five player in the in the country himself a couple years back you could play him at court four instead of having to play him at court one this year And you play Miguel Perez Pena, who's a really good player. Miguel Perez Pena on court five is like unfair; like he's going to be one of the best court five players in the country. And then you have a number of options at court six. You could bring in Ryan Colby, his transfer from Southern Cal, could play court six. He's playing court two for us right now, going back and forth between court two and court three. I mean, I just with the depth, like I I don't, I mean, I don't know how we how we would not win the national title. So I think that was what he was setting up for us. Okay, look, I'm gonna make one more run. Got these great players coming in. I want to be here for that. And we're going to win another national title, maybe even win another one when we go to the, when we host the NCAA tournament in 2026. But when Ethan Quinn went pro after winning the singles title last year, and Mickelson and Buse both never came here, they opted to go pro. Well, that left us in a tough spot. Now we're kind of in a rebuilding mode. We're, we've got some really talented young players, but we're starting three true fresh in the lineup right now. And that's for a guy who I think Manny's 71, I want to say right now, or either about to be 71 or 71, somewhere around there. So, I just don't know if he had the energy and was willing to sit through another, uh, and rebuild might be a strong word, but like kind of, right? We had to develop these young guys and in a couple of years, they're going to be really, really, really good. And I think he thought it was time to like turn over to Jamie Hunt potentially, probably would be my guess. And to let him develop these players, and uh, he's kind of man. gonna kind of like get this this group of players started, and then Jamie will take it, and, and we'll see what happens from there. I'm very confident, in Jamie. Jamie's an awesome coach, and done a fantastic job for us. He's been a great recruiter as well. He's been one of the big time forces behind some of these big classes that we've put together. So that's my thought on why now and why he's stepping down. Because I just I think he sees like, okay, we're not gonna win national Tile this year. Probably not gonna win one next year because these guys are still gonna be young so why would I stick around? You know, I'll be, you know, pushing 74, so I'm just gonna go ahead and hang it up. That would be my guess. That'd be my real situation. Again, no inside knowledge there. Don't take that as, like, gospel truth. I don't know. That's just me trying to put two and two together based off what I've seen out there. So, yeah, uh, we're losing a legend, and that's tough, man. Like, you just don't replace guys like Manny Diaz. I mean, like Jamie, I think he's going to get the head coaching job, our assistant coach. He's a former player here, one national title. He's going to be, he's going to do a great job. I mean, he's a great coach, but you know, Manny Diaz, a guy that legendary, his figure looms large. I mean, a lot of guys come to George because they want to play for Manny Diaz, a living legend. So yeah, I mean, that's tough to lose a guy like that. We lost Jeff Wallace on the women's side. Um, after last year, Drake Bernstein was assistant coach, got promoted to head coach and Drake's, awesome man he's gonna do a fantastic job again it's just weird it's just we're gonna see those two legends just not be out there anymore but yeah so I want to give Manny Diaz some props some very very well-deserved props because this guy has been a, a a legend man I mean god 46 years in the program that's just unbelievable what a freaking career but um yeah guys all right that's it for me today that's all I got for you I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend Big home game for Georgia men's hoops. We've got Auburn coming in. Can we get this dub? Hey, we got two quad one wins now with Wake Forest moving inside the top 30 of the of the net. Let's go. Uh, are our hopes maybe not as dead as we thought to get in the tournament? No, they're still dead. Like It would take a miracle run. We have to basically win out. But hey, it's still fun. Let's let's try to win some games, build some momentum for next year, maybe get a, a bid to the NIT. And beating Auburn at home would go a long way towards doing that. Getting off the schneid and ending that six-game losing streak against Devandy last night was awesome. It was a great win, basically led start to finish, and uh, we didn't blow in the second half. Go figure, right? So positive sign there, but uh, hope you guys have a good time this weekend. If you're going to the game, whatever you're doing, have an amazing weekend. I'm Tyler, and of course, as always, Go dogs.